grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is written in the book of Hosea, beginning at the 15th verse of the 5th chapter and going to the 6th verse of the 6th chapter. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will rise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. He is going forth, uh, his going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain on the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, flowers are a beautiful sign of affection. When two people go on a date, it is not unusual for one of them to give the other a beautiful bouquet of flowers as a sign of their love. However, that same bouquet of flowers can take on a totally different meaning if the one who's giving those flowers forgot about the date that they were supposed to go on. Suddenly, while they still are meant to be a sign of the love that they have for each other, they are now even more so a sign that the one who forgot about the date is sorry. Additionally, the person receiving those flowers after the date was forgotten about will also see them in a different way, depending on the circumstances. If this person rarely forgets about the dates that they agree to go on, then they'll see the flowers as a genuine sign of repentance. However, if this is a regular occurrence, they will see them only as a surface-level apology. And additionally, they will look at their significant other as what they really are, unfaithful. Now, it's really difficult for us to look at ourselves and see ourselves as the unfaithful one in our relationship, but the sad fact is, we already are, and the person who we are unfaithful towards is God. But God has not given up on us. God calls us to repentance and amendment of life. He doesn't want us to go through the, mo through the motions with fake repentance. He wants us to put our faith in him. In our text for today, we see that the Israelites were being unfaithful towards God. God said to them in chapter 6, verse 4 of our text, For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. It was nothing but surface-level faithfulness that soon disappeared. But this was much worse than someone who was forgetting about a date. 
they were actively lusting towards false gods and committing themselves to those false gods instead of to the one true God. Despite how constantly faithful God was towards them, they constantly cheated on him with the false gods that took priority in their lives. To illustrate this point to them, God instructed the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute who then cheated on him and was unfaithful to him, returning to her prostitute ways. It's a graphic image of how God takes this sin seriously and how he views people who are unfaithful to him. Now in the past, when the Israelites were unfaithful to God, he would allow a foreign power to attack them, which would result in them turning from their sins and turning back to God. This was no different. There were enemies at their doorstep, and the Israelites all agreed that they would turn from their sins and offer up sacrifices to God so that he may forgive them and bless them. However, their apology was only surface level. They had no intention of actually turning away from their sins. In fact, they undoubtedly would turn right back to them after they finished doing their surface-level apology. However, they hoped that through going through the motions that God would still forgive them of their sins and would bless them. But God saw their hearts. He knew that they were not truly sorry and did not intend to turn back. In fact, it was almost as though they couldn't help themselves. In the same way, We all have false gods that we are committed to and that we cheat on God with. They may not be false idols that are carved by man that we pray to and offer up sacrifices to, but if they are something that takes priority in our life over God, then that is a false god. We lust after objects such as the latest fashions or the newest phones or video game consoles or whatever else we value. And we devote all of our time and our money to those things, time and money that would be better spent devoted to God. We also lust after good grades. Wanting to get the best possible grades possible, we spend as much time studying for our assignments, for our tests, And in order to set aside more time, we sometimes don't go to worship services or chapel services when we should be devoting that time to God. We even lust after people, and we want to spend as much time as possible with the people we love and do whatever it takes to make them happy, even if it means completely abandoning God and even doing things that are only reserved for marriage. Now, we verbally repent of these sins in our prayers, at worship services, and in private. We uh, partake in the word and the sacraments, and we hope that through doing these things that God will forgive us of our sins and bless us. However, we do not have any intention often of turning from our sins. And so it is only a surface level apology that we partake in as we go through the motions. But God sees our hearts. He knows that we are only going through the motions with fake repentance 
and he knows that we almost cannot help but turn back to these false gods that we have committed our lives to following. So knowing how disgustingly unfaithful we are to God, what reason does he have to have mercy on us, and why does he not just simply let us get destroyed? Despite how often we are unfaithful to God, he loves us anyway. This is not because he is some foolish lover, but he is fully aware that the love that he has towards us is able to change our hearts. We see in our text that despite how often the Israelites were unfaithful to them, God wanted them to see the error of their ways and turn back to him the same way that he wants us to see the error of our ways and turn back to him. However, he knows that we cannot do this on our own, and so he sent his only begotten son into the world to save us from our sins and to turn our hearts back to him. Jesus was faithful in all of the ways that we failed to be. He was faithful towards those who were not faithful to him even, such as in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was sweating blood as he prayed for his disciples and his disciples were fast asleep, not even able to keep watch with him for a mere hour. God was, uh, Jesus was faithful to the Father, carrying out his Father's will all the way to the cross. On that cross, Jesus took on all of our sins as our faithful bridegroom. All of our unfaithfulness was put on him, and in exchange, he put on us his unfaithful bride, all of his righteousness and holiness. Because of this great exchange that Jesus has accomplished for us, a new heart has been created inside us. Now, does that mean that we no longer have to partake in the word and the sacraments? It may seem this way, because in chapter 6, verse 6 of our text, God says, For I desire mercy, that is faithfulness, and not sacrifice. But what God is really saying with this verse is that he does not want us to partake of the word and the sacraments in a faithless manner, like there's some sort of magic rituals that forgive us of our sins and bless us regardless of how faithful or unfaithful we are. Rather, uh, in other words, it means that the means of grace are not sacrifices that we offer to God to merit our salvation, but they are conduits of God's grace. They are how God gives us a new heart and puts a new spirit within us, as Ezekiel 36.26 describes, which is why we continue to partake in them. Through the waters of baptism, thus the sacrament of holy baptism, uh, we are washed in the blood of Christ. All of our filth is washed away, and we are clothed in the white gowns of Jesus' righteousness. Therefore, we have a new life as a part of Christ's bride of the church, and the white gown that has been put on us is like our wedding dress. Additionally, through the Lord's Supper, uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we don't just receive the forgiveness of sins, but through partaking in the true body and blood of Christ, we are united with Christ. Just like how we, in baptism, become 
the bride of Christ, in the Lord's Supper, God gives us a foretaste of our eternal marriage feast in heaven. And so, while we were once like an unfaithful wife, God has restored us through the means of grace and given us new hearts so that we're now like a faithful wife. There was a time when we followed absolutely anything other than God and devoted our entire lives to following those false gods. Our relationship with, with God was destroyed with us becoming like prostitutes and we were unable to turn from our ways, making our repentance only surface level. However, through the blood of Christ, the lusts that we once felt have been washed away and we've been made God's faithful wife. Now, when we repent of our sins, we no longer go through the motions, but we are empowered to put our faith in him. Amen.